Welcome to the Leaders Edge podcast. I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leaders Edge. I'm very excited about this interview with best-selling author Dan Pink. It's chock full of advice on dealing with the new reality of work, thinking about regret, and some great tips for working smarter and just living a little better. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Dan, thank you so much for joining me. I'm very excited to chat with you today. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. I'm just going to go ahead and dive right in. You spoke at the Council's Employee Benefits Leadership Forum this past August. You said it felt like a weird time and we were at the beginning of something and that right then experimenting mattered more than knowing and discovery okay. mattered more than deciding. So two questions for you. Number one, should we still be operating in this mindset almost six months later? And number two, during this time, is there anything that you personally have discovered or experimented with that has been eye-opening? Hmm. Okay, two interesting questions. So the answer to the first question, I think, is yes, um, that we should be, uh, we should continue to be experimenting. Uh, one of the things that I've, I've talked about there, Sandy, and, and, and that I continue to believe is that we are in the midst of a, what I like to call a great sorting where this conversation that we've been having about remote work or in-person work is in many ways a proxy for even bigger questions that have been unresolved in organizations. Questions, uh, questions like, uh, you know, what should be collaborative and what should be solo in our, in our workplace? We don't really have a good answer to that. What should be done uh, synchronously and what should be done asynchronously? I think that's a hugely important question. I think there's some open questions about, uh, what does an office look like? What is an office even for these days? So, and I don't think that we can answer any of those questions with certainty. It requires, I think, as just as, as you said, a different way of thinking. So it's not simply, hey, I know what's going on and I'm gonna have a strategy and I'm gonna create that strategy and I'm gonna execute against that strategy. I, I don't think that's gonna work because I think there's so little certainty. I think the, the, the approach remains to experiment our way to 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 discovery, to 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 try stuff, learn from that, adjust, try more stuff, learn from that, adjust, uh, and I and and I don't know the time horizon of that. I mean, was that six months ago, really? That we yeah, talked? Yeah, it was just about. Yeah. Holy moly! Um, <laughs> I didn't even realize that. I, I swear, I really thought it was like a couple of months ago. Uh, you know, in my in you know in my head, um, and so. Uh, so I don't know what the time horizon is, though, whether that it's whether it's a year, whether it's 18 months, but I, I still think that that's right. Now, on the second part of your question, what has surprised me or what have I uh, what have I learned? I actually think that even more than I thought six long months ago that we're going to end up on the remote in-person thing. I, I'm pretty even more convinced that we're going to end up with hybrid being what work is to the point where we no longer call it hybrid. We just call it working. Um, and I think I've been surprised a little bit by how enduring some of the Zoom meetings and Zoom gatherings are and, and how well people have adjusted. At the time, I thought, hey, it's, it's cool. We'll, we'll, you know, but I, 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 uh, it's, it strikes me that we, we've gone through a stage where we're like, OK, we're kind of getting used to it. It's not as bad as I thought. OK. It's a little weird, and I don't really love it. And and then and then I I feel like in the last several months, people have in some ways hit their groove and are using these technologies in this way of 
working together and communicating with each other very effective. I had one myself yesterday that uh, a Zoom meeting yesterday myself that had where we had a lot of graphics to look at. We were looking, it was a, it was a graphic design thing. It worked fine. <laughs> and, and I was surprised. Uh, it was the kind of thing where we, in the old days, we might've had to go all together in person and, or they might've had a, they were in, a, they were in California. They would have had to like ship me some stuff and I would look at it and it worked fine. Uh, so yeah. That's a long-winded answer to your second part of your question. Well, I have to agree. You know, we have regular art meetings um, where we look at images and we used to get yeah. in a big room and everybody would meet and pass around pieces of paper. And now we just screen share and it works. Yeah, and it, it works better. I guess, I mean, your question was about what, what surprised me. And, and, and I'm surprised at how well that kind of stuff worked. It didn't surprise me that, that, that encounters where that were really about exchanging information um, you know, uh, uh, sort of a, a, a higher resolution telephone call, uh, you know, trading information and, and having a discussion and a conversation. It did, I said, yeah, that's going to work pretty well. But I feel like some of the other stuff has we figure out how to make that work well. And that's yeah. And, and also the other thing about it on the on the individual. So I think that that, that aspect of it has worked better than the other thing about it is um, I, I, think, I think I've been a little surprised by how many people actually really like some form of remote work, that the number of people who want to go back to the office full time is relatively small. It's not zero, but it's relatively small. And a lot of people want to have this so-called remote work as part of their uh, as part of their lives. And we've done it for so long and done it so well that it, that becomes a very hard egg to unscramble. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll have to just see how we how we move forward in this way. Um, so you've talked a little bit about the great sorting, which was another concept that you brought up with mm -hmm. us, um, back when you met with us and you've talked about, you know, reassessing what's an office for all these things. Are there other factors that leaders should consider as they work through what their own staff needs? And then what's next for the white collar workforce? Are we looking at something drastically different or will it? remain somewhat familiar looking okay so i mean i mean I, I think that the big open question for for leaders has to do with um with culture uh and we've always it, it, we've always thought of building cultures as something that people did together and it's unclear to me whether that's because the only way to build a culture is for everybody to be together or because the only way we ever tried to build a culture was everybody being together. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, um, you know, even though I am somebody who's been working at home for 20 years, uh, I'm not, I, I, I actually am somewhat skeptical that organ that many organizations, particularly large organizations are going to be fully remote all the time, 100%. I'm skeptical of that. I just don't think that's how human beings roll. But I'm equally skeptical that we're going to go back to a world where we are sending people on, you know, one-hour commutes in a car in a fossil fuel burning car so that they can sit at a laptop by themselves at a desk and then come back an hour the other way. I, I think that those days are over. 
I think that those days are over too. Uh, I think the question, I think the real question is, is, is culture and how do we build a culture? And if you look at some of the evidence on how cultures are built, they are built around a sense of belonging. And I actually think that being in person is easier for a sense of belonging, but maybe they're gonna be in the same way that you and I were talking about being able to do art-based uh, discussions and, and, and graphic things online. Maybe there's a way to build a sense of belonging there. Uh, one of the things that comes out in the, in, the work, in the work on culture is the importance of, of purpose and particularly um, uh, what's, what some people call simple beacons, which is that people know why they're doing what they're doing. It's, it's in very simple, it's in very simple language. The quintessential example of this, and there's a famous paper in management about this, about the, the, the NASA program in the 1960s, where from top to bottom, they had a very simple beacon. We're going to put a man on the moon. Forgive the sexism of the time, but we're going to put a man on the moon, you know, a man on the moon, four one-syllable words, very simple. And it seems like simple beacons you can, you can, share and develop uh, online as well. But I, I, think that's a, I think that's a really open question. It could be that the way you build cultures is you do some of it, you basically do hybrid culture building. You do some of the things to build a culture online. And then you have, when people come together, you are much more intentional than we have been when we brought people together. And so the days that people are in the office are more meaningful. They're, they're more intentional, they're better structured, they're more purposeful. Uh, when you have things like, I, I think that things like in-person company retreats and those kinds of things are gonna be better now. I think people are gonna really dig them because they're not happening that much and they're not seeing their colleagues every day. So it's not gonna be the kind of thing is like, oh my God, I, I see these people every day. Now I gotta go to Orlando with them, you know? Right. Um, and um, so, so I, I really think that the culture is, a, is, a, is an open question. And as we were talking before, I think we experiment our way to that. In terms of where the white collar work goes, as I was saying earlier, uh, I think that it is, I think hybrid is, is, is where it is, again, so deeply that we stop calling it hybrid. Let's go to uh, some other stuff unrelated to our meeting. Um, you have a book coming out that's based all around regret, um, the power of regret, how looking backward moves us forward. Why did you decide to focus on regret? Uh, I, I decided to focus on regret because I had regrets. Uh, and, and this is the kind of book that I, I, don't, I don't think I would have written this book in my 30s. And, and it, and, but I think that in my 50s, it felt a little bit inevitable as you, you know, sort of get more experience and more scars. Uh, and the, really the catalyzing event was that one of my, our older daughter, my older daughter graduated from college. And, and I had that, I had that um, uh, kind of feeling that you have that parents have, which is that, oh my gosh, she was just born. How did this even happen? But then I also had this more kind of narcissistic human thing where it's like, wait a second, how can I have a kid who graduated from college? I'm like 27. I only graduated from college a couple of years ago. This is not even physically possible. And so I'm sort of dealing with those kinds of things in the course of this day, very, very long, day-long graduation at a large university. And I started thinking about my own regrets. And for whatever reason, I started just mentioning it to people. And I found that it was a topic where people really leaned in 
like they wanted to hear my regrets and they, they then then they wanted to share theirs and and um and and I, so i found it a very rich topic and and as i started looking at some of the the social science behind it i found it so, so super super interesting and i also was just curious myself about the kinds of things that people regretted and so i ended up doing two big research projects of my own to try to crack that nut well you know it is interesting that that you say that people really leaned into it because when I was doing some research for this conversation, I was very tempted to take the survey and like just go in there and like really think about it for myself. So it is, I could see how it, people immediately sort of attach. But I mean, the proof of concept is that this is one of those cases where, you know, I've had plenty of hunches and ideas that didn't go anywhere. This is one that did. And, and so I set up this, as you mentioned, Sandy, I mentioned, I set up this site Called the World Regret Survey, where we just ask people to share their regrets, and and we got, we we have um, with almost no like almost no publicity. We have, I mean, truly like almost no publicity at all. We have we collected we've collected about seventeen thousand regrets from one hundred and five countries, because um, people do want to talk about it. And then when you look at and and, and this collection of sixteen thousand regrets from all over the world, ended up being this incredibly rich trove of stories and emotions and, and insight. And, you know, I spent two years going through a lot of those to try to figure it out and, and, you know, and found that around the world, there is a great deal of commonality that across the world, people seem to have the same four regrets over and over and over again. Yeah. So, and you mentioned that you had found four core regrets when you talked with us about this and then right. there was, there I was shared one. one. Yeah, and you shared one, and you and you said it was particularly relevant to the workplace, and that's yeah. what I want to ask you about. So, tell us about that one. Sure. So, so one of the one of the regrets that people have, and this is this is an overwhelming finding, not only in the research that I did, uh, collecting all these regrets, but also in the existing academic research. This is, uh, you know, in human behavior, it's as it's as sturdy an insight as you can as you can find. And it's that people regret inactions more than actions. We regret what we didn't do much more than what we did do. There are all kinds of reasons for that, but that's that's at the core. And so what I found in looking at things is that uh, people 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 regret um, not taking a chance. They re they really deeply do regret these inactions. And it doesn't really matter the domain of life. Uh, so there's one category that I call boldness regrets, and boldness regrets are if only I'd taken that chance, and they it, they cut across the different domains of our lives. So I have a lot of regrets about people who, I mean, literally like 20, 30, 40 years later say, oh, I met this man, woman, and who I really liked, and I wanted to ask them out, and I didn't do it, and I've still regretted it. Yeah. Um, uh, which you know, it's kind of it's kind of amazing. So you have that. You have people. A lot of people. It's really interesting. A lot of people regret. They use the same phrase. They, they regret. I, I wish I had spoken up. Mm -hmm. I wish I had spoken up. You have a lot of regrets about speaking up about about assertiveness, um, and um, very few regrets about people kind of asserting themselves or speaking up and then regretting having done that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, as you mentioned, Sandy, uh, when it comes to careers, this is a prominent one. Uh, I, I, you think about like starting a business. Uh, I, I had plenty of people in this database who regretted starting a business because it failed or they realized they weren't entrepreneurs. But for every one of those folks, I had 25 who said, oh, 
I, I can't believe I, I, I stayed at this soul sucking job for so long. I can't believe I never went out on my own. I can't believe I never took a chance. I wish I had started a business. And then even, you know, and so you have a lot of regrets in the, in the workplace domain, the career domain about people who said, I wish I had been bolder in my career. Uh, even if I didn't want to start a, people, even if they didn't want to start a business, say, I wish I would have taken more chances in my job. I wish I'd have been more entrepreneurial. I wish I would have spoken up. I wish I would have asserted myself. I wish I would have tried some stuff. And I, I think there's a really big lesson for us there. And I mean, this book was had a huge number of lessons for me. It made me reflect on my own regrets and realize that a lot of the stuff that I was regretting were it's actually pretty common. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think that we can look at these that that those regrets about boldness, and it's giving us clues. It's giving us information about what we really want out of life. And what you and what, 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 what you find is like, come on, you know, in most cases, the move is to take the chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. And, and what I see over and over again at this very, very, I mean, arguably the largest sample of regrets ever collected tells us overwhelmingly that some people regret taking a risk and having it go south. There's no question about that. But the ratio is, I mean, literally 20 to one, 25 to one who have the opposite regret, who, who, who deeply regret, who deeply regret um, not taking that chance. And so the lesson to me is, you know, I, these, these, these four core regrets give us, they're, they're in some ways, they're the, the reverse image of what makes life worth living. And one of the things that makes life worth living is we all want the chance to, to do something, to, 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 to grow, to try stuff, to lead psychologically rich lives. And when we don't take that chance, we go later in our lives, we look back on it with regret. And so the antidote to that is, you know, you're at a juncture and you can take a chance, you know, be smart about it. Don't go crazy. (laughs) But in general, I think we want to err toward taking that chance. Uh, I think people, people, I, I think that makes life worth living. So you write a lot about these big ideas, motivation, timing, regret, what, and you, and you, and you talk to me about what inspired you to work on the regret piece, but in general, I don't know if there's anything more that sort of motivates you to dig deep into these really big topics um, and do the research required to, to, to write the way that you do. And then also is, have you thought about what might be next? I know you're just getting through the regret piece, so you may not be, <laughs> but if you thought about what might be the next big topic. I'll answer your second question first. No way, man, I, I'm, I barely survived this one. Uh, on, the, on the first part of the question, you know, it's just, I, I, like, I, I like figuring stuff out. Um, what I, you know, I typically come to a topic, um, that I'm curious about. And I feel like, like if I'm curious about it, other people are curious about it too. And so, uh, and so, you know, it's no more, it's no more elaborate than that. I said, wow, wait a second. Like I have, I have regrets and like all these other people have regrets and what do we know about regret? And that's kind of interesting. And it's this negative emotion, but it seems like there's a positive side to it. And what do we know about it? And I start doing some research and I say, wait a second, I think we can find a little bit more about this. Um, same thing with same thing with timing. Timing the timing. The book I wrote a book on timing, as you mentioned, and the impetus of that was coming into this office from where I'm coming into this office where I'm talking to you from right now, sort of making up like when I when I did stuff and realizing that was no way to do it. And 
and looking around for guidance, not seeing the guidance out there and saying, oh God, you know, this is a book I want to read, so I'm going to have to write it. And so, uh, so it's really no more elaborate than trying to uh, like uh, follow my curiosity and, and, and find stuff out. And if I, if I do that, I think, if I think I, I feel like if I do that well, if I'm, as I said, if I'm curious about it, other people will be curious about it. And if I do it well, I can sate some of that curiosity on people for people and, and maybe give them a, you know, one or two or three things that they can do to, you know, work a little smarter and live a little better. And I think you, you, you've done that. There's a lot of well, great thanks. information in there. Thanks. All right. One more for you. Yes. This, so you have some great books, longer pieces. You also on your website have all of these great, really short snippets of really valuable information. That's just kind of like helpful. Like, here's how to stay healthy when you travel and here's the best time for you to exercise if you want to achieve this and just yeah. really random pieces of advice random indeed i love it I, I was fascinated by it so my question is and you i know you like lists so i love top, this yeah so this is for, perfect for you top three pieces of advice that you think you've given in this not these bigger pieces but in these small tidbits top three And the silence, folks, is infinite. okay. No, I got to think about it because because at some level, I love all my children, and <laughs> we have done, and I've done, I think about at this point probably seventy five of these things. Yeah. So I'm not even sure if I remember them all, but I but I, I love the question, so I'll, so I'll I'll take it on. So so one thing that I like, this is a tip from David Allen. If if you can do something that takes two minutes less than two minutes, do it now. Don't put it oh, on I the list. Don't let that. it linger. Oh, Sandy, it's a it's a game changer. It 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 has it has dramatically it has dramatically dramatically changed my life. Uh, there's another one on there about um, um, oh I, there's a, there's I mean I, I do this. It's weird, but I do it. It's a, one of the early ones is um, a, a tip from software engineers where so the, your listeners. And readers won't know this, but I'm now holding up a tiny little rubber duck. And so one of the things that software engineers do when they get stuck is they try to explain what they're doing or the problem to this rubber duck. And that explaining to someone else, uh, even a, an inanimate object like a rubber duck, ends up unlocking some of the secrets to that. So when you're stuck, explain things to a explain things to a rubber duck. And then there's another one that I really like that we did just a little bit, uh, very recently, one of the newer ones. It's a, it's a tip from uh, Vanessa Bonds, who's a social psychologist at Cornell, who encourages us to give more compliments. Uh, and the reason for that is that we resist giving other people compliments because we think it's going to feel awkward and that they're not going to really appreciate it. And what the ev Vanessa's evidence and others tells us is we're wrong on both of those fronts. It actually doesn't feel awkward and people do appreciate it. And so I'm someone who's always been, okay, I'm not going to, well, like, oh, wow, I, I really like what they just did, or I really like, like, whatever. I like, you know, like those are cool glasses you're wearing or something like, oh, I'm not going to say that because that's going to be weird and I'm going to feel weird and they don't care and I'm wrong. And so, uh, so give more compliments. So those are three. So two minutes, rubber duck and compliments, I think can be super helpful in just, you know, small, yep. small wins to help you do a little bit better each day. Those are great. And I think I'm absolutely going to immediately employ the two minute one because I am <laughs> always saying, 
oh, I got to respond to that. That'll take a second. And then I don't do it. And then I'm, you just, I I'm telling you, I'm, I'm very serious about that one. Like that one, there's a reason that one came to me first, because I probably use that one. I'm not joking. I think I use that one every single day. Yeah. Truly. Um, and what it does is it just, you know, uh, you know, David Allen's book is called Getting Things Done. And at the core of it is this idea that you want to do is you want to get things out of your head into a system. There's, there's, there's subsequently been some really interesting research in, uh, in neuroscience about that. Dan Levitin wrote a book about it that, that, that validates that. And that's what you want to do. And one way to, I, I had this experience, I mean, again, not to keep testifying to my, with my own, with my own life is that um, I had a, an annoying email that somebody had sent me and it was sort of annoying and I needed to respond to it. I happened to be with my wife at the time. Uh, this is two days ago. And um, there's an annoying email and it was like, oh God. And, and, I, and I said, okay, I'm gonna respond to it right now. And my wife was like, well, no, you don't need to respond to him right now. And I said, I'm not doing it for him. I'm doing it for me because it's only gonna take me 30 seconds. And once I respond, I'm not gonna think about it again. Um, so if I had let it linger, you know, it would have been, it would have been different. So two minute drill. Love it. Ladies and gentlemen. Love it. <laughs> well, Dan, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. I really appreciate the time. Uh, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, Sandy. Absolutely. Anytime you want to come back, I'm here. <laughs> uh, great. Okay, cool. That was best-selling author Dan Pink. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to check out the rest of our podcasts at leadersedge.com or subscribe at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Spotify.